Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring sermons drawn from our pastoral staff and various guest preachers. friends, it's no surprise. Easter is the giant event of our Christian faith. It is the central definitive moment that brings meaning and purpose to our days. We sang in this sanctuary just last week with the glorious swelling of the organ and the brass, Jesus Christ is risen today. While Christmas celebrates God coming into the world in the flesh in the vulnerable baby Jesus, Easter celebrates the fullness of God's love pouring out into the world through the vulnerable body of the man Jesus, God's forgiveness and grace coming to us, a life that we are invited to, to walk in partnership with the living God. Easter is the giant event defining our lives as Christians. It's also a fact that there are giant obstacles in our own efforts to live our Easter faith. While we shout, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, we also try to live that faith on Monday. We try to practice that forgiveness and grace and love, and in the tangle of our lives, we find it to be very difficult. We find giant obstacles in our way. Our hope in these coming weeks is to think together in these sermons about how we can overcome these giant obstacles. We're calling it overcoming giants because it takes some intentional focus to identify the barriers that keep us from embracing that full life-giving Easter faith Friends, there's so much on offer in God's love poured out in Jesus on Easter. Let's start by naming the stuff common to us all that gets in the way. No doubt we've met these giant obstacles, probably even in this past week. Number one, we kind of like to gripe and nurse our disappointments rather than direct specific prayers to God. We We resist intimacy with God. Number two, we can tend to resign ourselves to larger forces outside our control rather than claim our story, to see our own story as part of God's salvation story. We resist that level of surrender. Number three, we tend to curl up in our own suffering and pain rather than share that pain together and claim it as part of God's bigger picture. We resist that level of honesty with God and with each other. Number four, we can go through the motions of church, acting pious, rather than actually facing up to the fact that God declares something very audacious about who we are. But we resist speaking that truth. And number five, we so often resort to the fragmentation in our culture rather than 
taking up the intentional focused work of building community. We resist that vulnerable community connection. That's five things. These are giant obstacles, and we're going to look at them as our topics for the next five weeks. The inspiration of many of these key five insights are taken from a book by Eugene Peterson called Five Smooth Stones for Pastoral Work. And what do you do to overcome a giant but to select smooth stones for that work? It's our conviction that these insights can help us overcome these giants. We're going to learn together about directing our prayers, about making our stories, sharing our pain, calling out falsehood, and building community. And as it turns out, there are five books in the Bible that fit very nicely into this good work of overcoming these giants. They correspond to an ancient practice in Israel that when they gathered for their large, important annual acts of worship coming from the villages all over Palestine and across the land to remember who they were, they read from these five books that we're going to read from over these five weeks. And when the people of Israel got up to read these assigned scrolls those occasions, through those occasions of worship through the year, each reading served to nourish one aspect of the life of the people. They remembered who they were, and they found motivation and, and direction for continuing their lives of faith. The readings reoriented them to God. The place where we start this morning is with learning how to love and how to pray in the context of salvation, encountering the closeness and intimacy of Jesus in our lives through prayer. Our text is from the Song of Songs. What's the Song of Songs? Well, it's a book in the Old Testament that is grouped together with other books of wisdom literature. So the Psalms, the Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes. Song of Songs is, take note, highly sensual. And at times, it's alarmingly specific. It's a long, lyrical depiction. Two lovers are looking for a place to be alone. There's seductive aromas, frustration. There's the morning after. It's all highly suggestive, if not just plainly explicit. It's beautiful and human and real and physical. And it's not unusual to ask, what is this doing in the Bible? Of course, all of human life finds its best purpose and meaning in God's hands. And Song of Songs is in part a testimony that everything, even and perhaps especially our, our human sensual connection, our intimacy, our vulnerability, and our longing, everything is in God's hands. And how we relate to each other at levels of very close encounter correlates to how we relate to God and what we think of how God relates to us. So it's fascinating for me to learn that the Song of Songs, this entire book of the Bible that is unabashedly sensual love poetry, this book was read in its entirety at the occasion of the Israelite Passover worship. Maybe you've been at a Seder where this happens. 
Passover is the celebration of God's salvation work in Exodus. God rescued the people of Israel from slavery and oppression in Egypt. The Passover in Exodus is the central salvation story of the people of Israel. And for us as Christians, Easter is the final and completed Exodus. So why? Why read a book of sensual love poetry during Passover worship? I think before we launch into that, we should read our text for the morning. It's from the Song of Psalms, chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. For now the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that you speak to us this morning. We didn't come to hear words from a twisted world. We came to hear your voice, your words of life, your invitation to join you, to draw close to you, and to be with you and be known by you. So, as best we can, wherever we're coming from, Lord, our souls rise to meet you, dearest Savior, loving friend. Amen. I want to share with you the story of Louis Agassiz. Not the tennis playing Agassiz, but Louis Agassiz. He was a man with a larger than life personality and an unquenchable curiosity, who in many ways is considered one of the key founders of American scientific endeavor in the 1800s. He was a Swiss born American biologist and geologist son of a Swiss pastor and a strongly intellectual mother. His teaching and ideas were wildly popular in his early career until he experienced a fall from grace, and his legacy is still a subject of, of debate, but, but no one debates that his impact was expansive. This great thinker and teacher had a way of teaching that proved extraordinary. His intention that he stated plainly was to teach students to see, to observe and compare, and to impress upon them that their own curiosity, their own engagement, and their own connection with the subject matter of their study, that was the key to their understanding not look, learning from books or learning theory or whatever. It was encouraging his students to see, to look, 
Agassiz had a method of introducing new students to the importance of seeing, he would present them with a dead fish, slap it down in front of them. It was usually a long dead fish, it smelled terrible, and the student was instructed to look at the fish. And Agassiz would then leave the room, oftentimes for quite a while. And one of his students describes the experience this way. In 10 minutes, I had seen all that, I could be, all that could be seen in that fish. And half an hour passed, then an hour, and then another hour. And the fish began to look loathsome. I turned it over and around, looked it in the face. It was ghastly. From behind and beneath, above, sideways, just as ghastly. I was in despair. No instruments were allowed, just my two hands, my two eyes, and the fish. It seemed a most limited field. I pushed my finger down its throat to feel how sharp its teeth were. I began to count the scales in the different rows until I was convinced that that was nonsense. At last, a happy thought struck me. I could draw the fish. And now, with surprise, I began to discover new features of the creature. And then when Agassiz returned later and listened to the student recount these observations, his only comment was that the young man must look at the fish again. The student goes on to say, I was mortified. Still more of that wretched fish? But now I set myself the task with a will. And I discovered one new thing after another. The afternoon passed quickly, and when, towards the close of the afternoon, the professor inquired of me, do you see it yet? I replied, no. I am certain I do not. But I see how little I saw before. Do you see it yet? asked the professor. I said, no, I'm certain I do not, but I see how little I saw before. The student asked Agassiz what he might do, what, what, what he might do next, and Agassiz replied, look at your fish. Look, look, look. And that lesson lasted for three days. And it was the best lesson the student ever had. The student said it was a turning point in his life. Friends, look, look, look. The Song of Songs says that to us as well. Look at the vines in blossom. Look how the flowers appear. Look at how the fig tree produces figs. Look at how God is in the everyday. Look at how God's love works in everyday settings, in, in the minutia, in the intimacy between people, in the way we see each other face to face, in the words we exchange, in the despair we feel and we share. Look at your fish. Look at how God loves you. It's no surprise that there's a soaring magnificence to God's work of salvation in Easter, but we have difficulty in staying alert to the fullness, to, 
that magnificence. We can pray fervently and passionately one day, and then our praying becomes just riddled with cliches. It becomes impersonal, and we feel like the fire just, just goes out. We lose all will to keep looking and observing and bringing that to God. But what the Song of Songs invites us to do again and again is to look, look, look. Like Eugene Peterson says, however exalted the truths of God, they are not too great or too high to be experienced by ordinary people in the minutia of the everyday. Look at your lives. See the specifics and connect those specifics to the grand work of God's salvation. That's a big word, salvation. Easter salvation. Salvation is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Like we said, the most considerable act of salvation in the Old Testament is the story of the Exodus. The people were saved definitively. They were defined and shaped and centered not by military power, not by political power, not by environmental forces. They were defined by the act of God rescuing them. And for us as Christians, Easter, again, is the final and completed exodus. Look at this act of salvation. Wonder at it. The danger of our lives as Christians is that salvation will become ritualized and, and institutionalized. It becomes just a thing, disconnected from real relationships. It becomes a shell or, or a husk of reality. If we go through Easter and just enjoy the ritual of the day and look upon all the niceties, the festivities, the bright flowers, the beauty of it, we miss the point entirely, friends. Those things are wonderful. It was a beautiful day. But they only point to the deeper reality that something real is going on in Easter. Look, says the Song of Songs, look deeper, not just at the wide expanse, but look at the specifics of your lives and how salvation translates into every moment. Because salvation recreates us. It recreates our personal relationships. We get all mixed up and confused in relationships because of sin, because of bondage, fragmentation. Salvation is God's act that puts us in a position to live less confused, less bound, less fragmented. We get to see ourselves recreated, and especially as we pay attention and look closely at the details and specifics. That's why the Song of Songs scroll was read at the conclusion of the Passover meal, so that the Exodus wouldn't just be some big thing in the past, but that those realities of God's salvation would be translated into the specifics, into the domestic hours of people's day. God's glorious salvation event is workable in these settings. It's not just possible, it's necessary to experience it in the intimacy between persons. And the way we do that, friends, is in prayer. Prayer is not just talking about our desires to God. Prayer is expressing those desires to God, bringing our emotion, bringing our longings, the specifics of them. 
the agony, the hopes, the joys, the despairs, friends, specifically naming them in prayer is the invitation we receive. So a question this morning, do you have a practice of prayer that cultivates this awareness in your own life? Do you keep a prayer journal? Do you keep a gratitude journal? Do you find yourselves drawn to prayer in different hours of the day? Do you go on prayer walks? Do you allow yourself to pray like you're talking to a dear friend? Do you know that God longs to hear your voice? Our prayers bridge the transition from salvation to daily activities. If you don't already have practices of prayer, may this season of Easter be one in which you seek it out. Ten minutes a day. Gather your thoughts before you even get out of bed. Let your speaking to God and your listening to God in prayer be that bridge from the full truth of salvation into the specifics of your daily lives. Pray with your eyes open. Look. It's the best way to direct our prayers. Prayer is not reciting cold and, in, and ritualistic, indifferent words. Prayer, friends, is the beat of your heart. It's the breath in your lungs. It's communing with God who specifically wants to commune with you. In prayer, we discover God's will and God's love at the center of our lives. It's there. Look, look. One of the joys of the class on poetry and prayer during Lent uh, that several of us had a chance to be in conversation about, it was every Thursday evening, it was seeing how the keen eye of the poet finds specifics in her surroundings and lifts them up, notices them, and names them, and how closely that practice of poetry is, in, is aligned with, with the practice of prayer. The poet Mary Oliver wrote that, quote, attention is the beginning of devotion. Attention is the beginning of devotion. It's allowing ourselves to get more deeply involved with the specifics. It's getting into the specifics with people and with God. In prayer, that kind of intimacy is the invitation we have. It's not something that we have the power to do on our own, but friend, it take, friends, it takes practice. We need to be invited again and again into that practice of prayer. In a world that resists true intimacy, in a world that has great difficulty practicing real relationships, the Song of Songs reminds us to look at how closely God is bound up in the specifics of our lives. It's because that salvation work connects so deeply with our everyday that we pray. So friends, may there be an urgency in our prayers. The world yearns. We long in our hearts for God's work of salvation to find its fulfillment. May there be excitement in our prayers. God's work of salvation is in such wonderfully specific and intimate parts of our lives. So look, look, watch. And may we be, may we be directing our prayers to God. Prayers based off of close observation of the world, engagement with the specifics of others, with the specifics of what is going on in your own heart. 
Friends, the world needs, we all need to overcome the giant obstacle so that we can be allowing ourselves to be intimate with God. In prayer, in our practices of praying, let's overcome this giant. Let us not hesitate to come to God in prayer in all times, in all places. You have been listening to a production of San Marino Community Church. Find our worship services on YouTube or subscribe to our podcast on Spotify.